we're going to just jump right in. Next week, we have our Rock School of Ministry students that you're going to meet and um, hear from, so that's next week. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and then I'm going to jump into Pentecost and what that means um, and why it's significant and why it's important and how it coincides with what today is, Pentecost Sunday. But you recall that when Paul was teaching the church at Corinth, he was trying to correct problems in the church. And some of the problems they were having at the church at Corinth, and this is addressed in chapters 12, 13, and 14, are that the church in Corinth was fluent. Is that the right word? They were, they were engaged in the spiritual gifts. They were prophecies. And in chapter 14 in particular, it talks about the, the speaking gifts. They were prophesying in church, and they were speaking in tongues in church, and there was some interpretation going on. But with that, there was also some confusion. And so what Paul does is he writes, um, he addresses rather these issues in chapters 12, 13, and 14, and he sandwiches chapter 12, which talks about, kind of gives us the gift list. Chapter 14, where he's specifically talking about the speaking gifts, and it's sandwiched in between chapter 13, which says, hey, listen, the spirit of this whole thing is love. Don't forget love is the most important thing, especially when it comes to spiritual gifts, because it's easy to get in pride. It's easy to kind of just lay your gifts out there instead of offering to the body of Christ, causing some division and problems. And so he writes this, 1 Corinthians 14.1, he said, remember, follow the way of love. That's the deal. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. You have love one for another. We love God. It's a great commandment. God is love. We need to show love when we're offering our gifts to others. We don't just lay it on people. We offer them in love, remembering that that is the supreme quality characteristic, fruit of the Spirit. It is love. And then notice what he says here, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, which is, this should be um, delineated between the Old Testament prophets that got up and foretold the future. It's not what he's talking about here. This kind of prophecy is not foretelling, not foretelling the future, it's forthtelling. It's speaking words of edification and exhortation and comfort to build up the body of Christ. And so he's saying, follow love in all things, that's the most important thing, but eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. And I just have a question for you, regardless of your age, do you eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit? Is that something you're earnest about, something you, you desire? Or is it just, eh? whatever, you know, I'm just trying to deal with the COVID. I don't have time to think about spiritual gifts. I don't desire that. And maybe you don't because you don't understand what the gifts are. Of course, if you look at the Sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 12 a couple weeks ago, then you'll at least have an understanding about where the different gift lists are and what some of the gifts are. It, maybe it's because you've seen abuses of the gifts. I've seen some of that over the years, or you've seen some televangelists supposedly have some spiritual gift and just weird and strange, and that's, by the way, what's going on in Corinth. There's some weird stuff going on, freaking people out, especially unbelievers. But regardless of abuses or of ignorance or just being busy with life, listen, the Scripture tells us we should desire spiritual gifts, and especially building others up with our words as the Spirit inspires us through this prophecy, this simple gift of prophecy where we encourage one another. Now, 
in verses 2 all the way to 38, he's going to give us practical instruction on how these speaking gifts are to operate in a church setting, in a corporate setting, in a gathering. We're not going to go there this week. In a couple of weeks, we'll hit that. I'm just going to end here real quick with his concluding thought, and this will kind of set us up for Pentecost Sunday. In 39, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Prophesy, rather. He says it again. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Be eager for gifts, especially prophecy. He concludes his thoughts. Listen, be eager to prophesy. And he says this, notice this, do not forbid speaking in tongues. I know a lot of times uh, people have taken um, a theological position called sensationism where, you know, gifts of the Spirit aren't valid anymore, this tongues is not needed anymore, and we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. But clearly he says, don't forbid it. Don't forbid it. Yeah, but I don't speak in tongues. Okay, but don't forbid it. And be eager to prophesy. And here's his concluding thought. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And that's the point. That in the church service, things need, and when there's a gathering, things need to be done fittingly, orderly, decently. That brings glory to God and helps the body of Christ and unbelievers that come in understand. And understanding is like the point. Now, here's the irony in this message. Paul is saying that's how the gathering is to be. But when the Spirit came initially, it was anything but orderly and fitting and decent. It was unusual, to say the least. And so, we're going to explore the Spirit coming, the birth of the church, Pentecost Sunday. And you realize that today is Pentecost Sunday, right? What's interesting to me is, Pente means 50. It means the 50th part of something, the 50th in the sequence of order. And it just so happens today, our first service in here is on Pentecost Sunday, where the governor has said, you can have 50 people. Kind of interesting, huh? (laughs) I don't think that was in her mind when she made that executive order. I'll tell you that. Now, um, in Exodus 23, what is this Pentecost thing? And here's what I want you to understand today the connection between the Old Covenant and the New, the connection between the feasts that God gave the children of Israel and what these feasts were were to celebrate, and the connection between that and the work of Christ. But Pentecost is called three different things in the Old Testament. In Exodus 23, it's called the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Harvest. In Exodus 34, it's called the Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. And in Numbers 28, 26, it's called the Day of First Fruits. The Day of First Fruits. These are all referring to the same thing, Pentecost. What is that? 50 days after Passover. Now, what is the purpose? It's also called, by the way, Wit Sunday. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It's called Wit Sunday as well. But that's not in the Bible. That's just um, something that's been people call. Anyway, what does its purpose of Pentecost? It celebrates the arrival of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. The wheat. What Jesus talked about. He said the wheat, referring to the people of God, grows up. And along with the wheat, the chaff grows up. And what's interesting about wheat and chaff 
they look extremely similar, and they grow together. But the Lord said when He sends the angels one day, the chaff is going to be cut down and burned up, and what's the wheat going to do? Be bundled up and taken to glory, amen? So we see that the wheat refers to the people of God. Jesus, for example, said this in John's gospel, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're white under harvest. What's that referring to? That people are ready to be harvested all over this world for the kingdom of God. So here we see that it celebrates Pentecost, the arrival of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And after the exile, it became the traditional celebration to remember the giving of the Mosaic Law, the Torah, first five books of the Bible, Pentateuch. And that, by the way, is how the Jews celebrate it today. They celebrate the giving of the Mosaic Law, the Torah. So they still celebrate Pentecost today, but they call it the Feast of Weeks. Now, the Spirit's timing on the day of Pentecost is more than coincidental. It's very, very important. And you need to understand that the giving of the Holy Spirit was not in response to them tarrying. It was not in response to them praying, even though they were doing that in accordance to what Jesus said. It was a work of God's sovereign timetable. It was God's sovereign work. And you're going to see that and understand that better in connection to the feasts that God gave the people of Israel, the Jews, and what God did through Christ and through His work. So the key Jewish feasts are pictures of the work of Christ. And you can find this feast listed in Leviticus chapter 23. And let me share these first three because they are so significant and they bring great understanding and light to the work of Christ. The first is Passover. Passover. Let me refresh your memory. I know you probably already know this, but let me show you the types and shadows in the Old Covenant and how it's fulfilled in the New Covenant, knowing that the New Covenant is better established on better promises, but the understanding for the New comes from the Old. And what happened in the Old Covenant was this that God chose a people through Abraham, started the Jew. They end up in slavery, right? Jacob brings his family down there when Joseph is in power. They're in slavery 430 years. And that Egypt is a type of sin, which applies to all humanity. We're all dead in our trespasses and sin. But what happens is God raises up a Savior, a deliverer, Moses, who is a type of Christ. Moses comes and does many miracles before Pharaoh. God had hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let God's people go to worship. And so what happened was the plagues came, the ten plagues. The tenth plague was the worst of all because it was the death of the firstborn. And here's what God told the children of Israel through Moses. Go take a lamb. And this lamb has to be spotless, the little baby sheep. Have you ever seen a little lamb? They're so cute and so stupid, but they're just cute little things. And they're just, you know white and beautiful, and take this little lamb and slaughter it, (laughs) and take its blood, and you're going to put the blood of this innocent little creature over your door, down the sides of your door, and when God sends judgment, when the death angel comes, if the death angel sees that blood over the door, judgment will pass over your house, the pass over. And then he instructed the family to eat the lamb, so not break the bones, eat the lamb. And you know how that goes. All right, that's the old covenant Passover. Let's come to the new covenant. 
Remember what John the Baptist said of Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover is a picture of the death of Christ, the crucifixion, where Jesus, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. And His blood is over the doorposts of our life when by faith we call on Him. And judgment will pass over us. Amen? Because of Christ. It's such a picture, a beautiful picture of the Old Testament Passover. And did you furthermore, did you know this, that Christ was crucified on what day? Passover. First day of Passover. Or Thursday afternoon. However you work that calendar, the Jewish calendar, because sunset starts the day, you know. But Christ is crucified on Passover. He is the Passover lamb. His blood was shed. And we eat His body and His blood when we take communion. It's all a picture of Christ, our Passover lamb. How cool is that? It gets even more dramatic because Passover ended on Saturday. Jesus is dead in the tomb. But what happens on Easter Sunday morning? The resurrection. And that is, co- coincides with the second feast of the Jews called First Fruits. First fruits happened on Easter Sunday morning. The second feast was the next day after Passover. Passover ends on Saturday. Christ is in the tomb. It's Sunday morning. Now the Jews are to celebrate, and this is thousands of years before Christ physically came here in the, in the flesh, celebrate first fruits. This is a celebration symbolizing the full harvest that's coming in 50 days or 49 days. This is a picture of Christ's resurrection. Jesus died on Passover, the Passover lamb, and he rose from the dead on first fruits, the resurrection, anticipating what's coming on the harvest. This is a picture of his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, Christ is the first fruits of those who sleep. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. And then we will be resurrected too one day when he returns. Amen. How cool is this? Well, how does that relate to Pentecost? Fifty days later, they were to celebrate the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Weeks. You can see this in Leviticus 23, verses 15 and 16. It's the Feast of Harvest. And this is the day that God chooses sovereignly to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, He's no longer just on the prophet, the priest, and the king. He's on every one who calls on the name of the Lord. The church is born, and we're born with a mission, and that mission is to gather the harvest. And that's when He came. That's when the Holy Spirit came. And we're going to see this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus instructs the disciples they're going to be equipped for their ministry. In Acts chapter 2, they're empowered for their ministry. In Acts chapter 1, the believers are held back. Terry in Jerusalem, wait. In Acts chapter 2, they're sent out. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 1, and you can see how God in His sovereign big picture view has pulls this all together. In my former book, who's the my? That's Luke. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. This is the physician that traveled with Paul. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. Luke part one, and he wrote the book of Acts, the history of the church. 
Luke part two. In my former book, Luke, Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God, and it's debatable. Some people think Theophilus was a real person, even though his name means lover of God. Some people think it was written in code, and Theophilus just means lover of God, referring to the all believers for all time. But regardless, it means lover of God. So in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. And after his suffering, after he died on Passover, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. After first fruits, after the resurrection, he comes back in that period between Easter Sunday morning and Pentecost Sunday, Jesus physically came back to earth. Flesh and blood. Remember Thomas? I'm not going to believe unless I see it with my doubting Thomas with my own eyes and put my hand on his side. And boom, Jesus appears. He said, I'm flesh and blood. Look at, the hand, look at the scars. Put your hand on my side, Thomas. Believe, don't doubt. And for those 40 days in between first fruits, the resurrection, and the harvest of weeks, Pentecost Sunday, in those 40 days, Jesus physically is here, was seen by over 500 witnesses. 500. In a court of law, the mouth of two or three witnesses, you can have someone m- killed, Right? 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses, eat, talk with Jesus, are taught by Jesus, and they see Him before He ascended and sent the Spirit down in this time period. And He gave them many convincing proofs that He was alive, and He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and He spoke about the kingdom of God, and the disciples have no clue what He's talking about. So Jesus, does this mean you're coming back to Jerusalem now? You're going to set up your kingdom. This is great. Because now we have a leader. You can kill him, but he comes back to life. We're going to kick the Romans out. We're going to, this is great. They don't understand. And he says this. Go to that next slide, please. For John baptized with water, baptism of repentance. But in a few days, you're going to be baptized. That word means immersed. You're going to be immersed with the Holy Spirit. That's what he talked about in John chapter 14, John chapter 16. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time? Are you coming back? Mount of Olives, is this it? You're setting up your throne now? You're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, you guys, no. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his own authority. And this is the most important verse right here in Acts chapter 1 that sets the stage for the rest of the book of Acts. He said, but you, you, my disciples, you're going to receive power. That's the Greek word dunamis. It means this, like dynamite, the ability from God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The Greek word martyrs means martyrs. I'm going to give you the power to die. I'm going to give you the power to be a witness And it's going to start in Jerusalem, and that's how the book of Acts starts. And then it moves to Judea and Samaria. That's where it moves through Acts chapter 8 and 9. And then Cornelius to the ends of the earth. We see it. What changes? Wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Just wait, because it's coming. He's coming. He's coming. (laughs) And now we jump over and we see He comes. And remember I said it's not a fitting and orderly way like, like Paul said in 
in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. No, this is, this is dramatic. Look at it. Acts 2, 1, 8, this is the day the church was born, the day the Holy Spirit was given. When the day of Pentecost came, 50 days after Passover, 49 days after first fruits, now it's the harvest of weeks. They're in Jerusalem. They're together in a house, in one place. One translation says one accord. That'd be tough to get 120 people in a Honda Accord, but they were somehow in there. Suddenly, God changes things like that. Suddenly. Suddenly a sound. They're all together praying. It's Pentecost. It's nine in the morning. And the sound is heard all through Jerusalem. It's the sound of the Lord coming. And the Holy Spirit comes in this room. A violent wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they're sitting. They must have been freaked out. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Boom! And it says this. Go ahead to that next slide. No, that is the one. Go back. Sorry. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. I don't know if they look like human candles or not. Tongues of fire. Separated and came to rest on each of them. So with this sound came fire, and it separates on each of them. And they're all under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the dunas, the the anointing, the grace of the Holy Spirit. And it came to rest on each single, every single one of them. And they were filled with the Spirit. And, And now, once you have the Spirit, gifts begin to flow. And the gifts that they were using were this. They began to speak in other tongues. This is not the tongues of angels that's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that we'll get to in a couple weeks. This is the tongues of men. And you have to remember what's going on in Jerusalem. Because it's Pentecost, it's the Feast of Weeks, there are Jews from all over the world that make the journey on their camels and on their donkeys and by foot from all different nations around the world, and they all come to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to celebrate the Feast of the Harvest. So you have all these people in Jerusalem making this trip, and they hear the the violent wind, and they see these things, and they hear their languages, and their people don't know what's going on. This is like, what is going on? This is crazy. Go ahead to the next slide, please. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So they're all here for the feast. And when they heard the sound, they come together. What is this? <laughs> Sounds like a tornado. What's going on? And then bewilderment. They're confused. They're amazed. They're like, because each one heard in their own language it was being spoken. And they're speaking the glories of God. Utterly amazed. They asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Aren't these people from hours north, the Sea of Galilee, these blue-collar fishermen? How do these uneducated blue-collar workers know our languages from all over the world? And they're freaked. This is how it is that each of us hears them in our own native language. And so they're freaked out. Notice this. On this amazing day, Pentecost Sunday, they all heard something, the violent wind from heaven. They all saw something, tongues that looked like fire that came to rest on each one of them. 
And they all said something. They all spoke in these languages of men that they had not learned. It's amazing. And so they don't understand. They're trying to put the pieces together. They can't figure it out. And here comes Peter. Big, loud Peter. Stick your foot in your mouth on the one moment. And the next moment, cowering and <laughs> caring what people think about him, right? Peter. The one who denied Jesus three times to a little schoolgirl by the fire. Cursed gods. I don't even know who this Jesus is. Now, he's filled with the Spirit. Now, his tongues of fire are on him. Now the fulfillment of what Jesus prophesied about him is coming to pass, and Peter stands up, filled with boldness, filled with understanding, and he begins to tell them what exactly is happening as he quotes the prophet Joel, who hundreds of years prior said this day would come. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, even though they're acting, like, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is that. This is that which was spoken by Joel, that in the last days, the, the last days began right then. And so if those are the last days, how many know we're in the last of the last days? It's going to get weirder and weirder before Jesus comes back. And I say this last two months has been about the weirdest I've seen. In the last days, God said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all people, your sons and daughters. On our sons and daughters, the Holy Spirit will be poured out. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. So the Spirit will be poured out on young girls and young boys, on old and young, on slave and free Servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. There it is. Again, they're prophesying. They're speaking for God. And now he shifts a little bit, because, you know, sometimes when you're, you're reading the prophets, Old Testament prophets, you've got to understand that the timing is a little off here. What I mean by that is this. Now he jumps, and so he sees this, the coming of the Son of Man, and he says this, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. This is referring to the day of the Lord. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the last days begin then, and they will, the last days will end with the Lord's return. But in this time period, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will have the Holy Spirit inside of them. You can't be saved any other way. So this is amazing. This is incredible. This changed the world. Pentecost Sunday, when the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. And what is the point? It's harvest time. It's harvest. It's all about the harvest. And that is... What Pentecost is, the Feast of Harvest. Peter then concludes this message with these words. Here's what we need to do in light of the Spirit coming, in light of the church being born, in light of the fact it's harvest time, in light of whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's what we must do. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of 
of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift. The gift that Jesus talked about. The gift that Joel prophesied about. The gift that Jesus has promised every believer. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I love this. This promise is for you. Would you say that with me? This promise is for me. It's for me. It's for you. The promise is for you. And guess who else it's for? Your children. Amen. And your grandchildren. And their children. And their children. And for all who are far off, the four corners of the earth, the north, the south, the east, and the west. And for all whom the Lord our God will call. This gift is for you. This salvation is for you. This promise is for you. And for your children. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that this promise is for us. Jesus, you are our Passover lamb crucified on Passover. Jesus, you are our resurrected Lord. And you rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. And Jesus, you sent the promised Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest, so that we could be empowered to win people to you. And so we could be filled with your Spirit, so that we could eagerly desire your gifts and we may be a blessing to others. Father, I want to thank you for the children that are in this room. I pray, Father, that this promise that you have declared was for the whole world, for all whom you would call, would, would rest on our children. I pray that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, even at, at a young age, Lord. I pray that you would breathe on this congregation, that you would breathe on us, Lord Jesus. We call on you as our Savior, Lord. We repent. We turn from our sins and we turn to you. Lord, let each one here be baptized as you commanded in your word as we take those steps of faith and obedience, symbolizing the new life in Christ. Forgive our sins. Fill us with your spirit. Show us, Lord, fruit. Let us bring the harvest in. Let us have a revival in the middle of what's going on in the world, Lord. Let the light in us and in this church family get brighter and brighter and brighter. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.